Good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Knute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll check in with some local farmers and find out how the crops are coming along. Also, Glendalee Allen Vossler will talk about the volatility in the fertilizer market. Up first in today's country comment, we'll have details from the Thanks for Farming tour taking place this week in Winkler. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The Thanks for Farming Tour wraps up in Winkler today. One of the speakers yesterday was Brian Voth, president of Intellifarm Inc. He spoke about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So this is always a tricky uh, topic because you have to really look back at Russian history to understand what Putin is trying to do. And I think anyone that thought that this war was going to be, you know, a quick blazed over battle and and that was it. Uh, I was probably a little bit delusional in the first place because Ukraine is just the first part of this, barring something actually stopping Putin. Uh, If you look back, Russia is a very diverse country and they're very vulnerable defensively because of that. And there's about five main channels in and out of Russia that they would like to control again. And Ukraine is just the first stop on this. And again, unless something actually stops Putin, there's a lot other, a lot more other countries, uh, Belarus, Lithuania, Poland, that inevitably will probably become part of this too. So this is going to be a long, drawn-out thing. And the implications are obviously big on an agricultural standpoint because of the size and the importance of both Russia and Ukraine uh, and their importance to the global markets from a wheat perspective, corn perspective, sunflower perspective. So it's the, the interesting part from a market perspective is it's not so much a supply issue it's a major logistics problem in terms of trying to get grain moved out of that whole black sea area given the situation the agreement that was signed last week you know we took one look at it and said well this is this is great on paper but now we have to actually see follow through to see if this actually means anything and you know the missile strikes after it kind of showed that maybe this was about worth the paper was written on we'll see where this goes longer term but uh, again, this conflict is likely going to last a lot longer than than probably a lot of people realize. Something else that was touched on here today, uh, just the importance of um, budgeting and putting together a, a marketing plan. Um, there was kind of four steps you talked about, but uh, just talk about the importance of, of making a budget on the farm. So everybody's least favorite topic, obviously, from a marketing perspective, is doing a budget. And honestly, in the last year, year and a half, you know, we could get away without doing a budget because you basically were in a situation where you couldn't not make money as long as you actually had a crop or some some version of a crop. But the, and the problem is, is this last year and a half or two years is going to have lasting impacts on farms decisions going forward, especially because, you know, with making a lot of money comes upgrading equipment, buying land, et cetera, et cetera. And things like this have trailing effects over the next 5, 10, 15 years. So the problem is if farms are making these decisions and doing this because it made sense only the way things looked in the last year, these are the decisions that end up being the detriment of farms longer term because they can't cash flow, they can't, they can't live with the decisions they made when things were really good, when things go back to normal or back to average, whatever you want to call it. And so that's to me the biggest thing about making a budget is uh, budgets don't lie. Numbers don't lie. If, if your budget says X, that's what you go off. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. This is, this is math. This is numbers. This, this is how it is. 
And that, to me, is the guiding principle on how, how farms should be looking at things and making decisions from a marketing perspective. You talked about um, just the amount of storage that farmers have. I guess just talk a bit more about the, the risk of, of not selling. Uh, yeah, so, you know, farms in Canada are kind of an interesting and maybe unique position to, to be able to hold, you know, most of or an entire year's crop or even more than that in some cases. Uh, that's, that's not the norm around the world. And a lot of it is because of our logistics challenges. You know, we know what winters can be like in the Canadian prairies and how slow grain movement can, can get. That said, just because you have the space and don't need the cash flow doesn't mean that you shouldn't be pricing grain. Uh, that has led to a lot of poor decision making too because it, it makes farms eternally bullish. If I don't need cash and I have the storage, well, I'm just going to wait for prices to go up. Prices don't always go up. So marketing decisions versus bin space or cash flow decisions, they're two separate, there's two separate items. One of them is a marketing item. One of them is an accounting item. And whether you need the cash or not shouldn't be a determining factor on whether you price grain or not. The timing of sales is the timing of sales, no matter whether it works into your timing. Having storage is important because it does allow you to capture opportunities such as better basis out into the deferred months um, or, you know, some premiums, that sort of thing, or as holding back crop as an insurance for the next year. If you're going to go and pre-sell the next year's crop, you have a bit of a backing by having it in the bin. I'm always a fan of having storage. But don't get sucked into the thinking that, well, I built this 30,000 bushel bin this year, so I'm going to fill it. That may not be the right decision. Having the storage is great, and you're going to probably need it longer term. But you have to look at each year individually. And just because you built storage this year doesn't mean that you have to fill it and use it and leave something sitting in there if it doesn't make sense from a marketing standpoint. That was Brian Voth of Farm Inc. speaking yesterday at the Thanks for Farming Tour being held this week in Winkler. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Farmers have been monitoring their cereal crops for signs of fusarium head blight. David Kaminsky is with Manitoba Agriculture. I did a survey a few fields in the southwest part of the province at the beginning of last week. Those were winter wheat fields, and they were approximately two weeks after flowering, so just beginning to turn color. And of the ones that were sprayed, we saw a very low level of fusarium. Um, There was one field that had been unsprayed, and um, it had a fusarium index of about 2%, which if that was harvested for grain, it might show up in the, uh, the harvested sample. And Manitoba's canola fields are in full bloom. Justine Cornelson is with Brett Young Seeds. It's in full bloom right now, so that makes it look gorgeous. Um, you know, across the province, um, huge variability in, in still the stage in, in some areas and, and quality of it. But it is moving along, obviously enjoying all of this moisture it's getting and in kind of these milder conditions. Last week when we saw, I guess maybe it's coming on two weeks now, but when we saw those really extreme temperatures and highs, we saw the crop really push through that. So if it was at a you know, 20% bloom, it really pushed forward. So not what we want to see during flowering, but um, you know, would have only affected kind of a small population of the crops. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Knute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Thursday, July 28th. I'm Corey Knute. Coming up today, Glendalee Allen Vossler will talk about the volatility in the fertilizer market. 
A number of factors are impacting the volatility in the fertilizer market. To get a better perspective, Glendalee Allen Vossler talked with Josh Linville, Director of Fertilizer with Stonex Financial out of Kansas City. Josh Linville has 20 years experience in the fertilizer industry and was one of the keynote speakers during Ag in Motion. He says a lot of what we see happening right now with fertilizer prices is international and being government-driven. Yeah, each one of them kind of move in tandem. If you were to go back through history, they all kind of typically move up and down with each other. But each one is based on different fundamentals. Like I said, when you look at the phosphate market, our main focus right now globally is China. Will the government allow exports or not? Uh, nitrogen, on my point of view, it's about European natural gas. It just cost them $1,000 uh, US to produce one ton of urea today with where natural gas is, and we don't even know if they'll have enough gas to produce. We lose that production, we lose a major amount of global supply, and we grow demand to replace those tons. So these things are all right now, and that's the problem with it. Saskatchewan, of course, being a key exporter of potash, he talked about the importance of Lithuania to the potash market. Well, you look at Belarus as a major producer of potash. When you look at it, they're one of the top three producers in the world, one of the top three exporters of potash in the world. And a lot of their flows had moved north-south. Well, when you look south, the country that's south of them is Ukraine. You're not going to ship a lot of potash through a war zone and out to ports that are being bombed. That supply route is cut off. Then when you go north, that's where Lithuania comes into play. And that's been a major export arm for them. They'll ship their products through the country, out to their ports, and out to the world. Well, Lithuania said, with your action with Russia on the Ukraine, we're no longer allowing your exports. That is 7 million tons, give or take, of typical exports over the last several years that have just been cut off from the world. And when we're talking about international factors, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war is key. Russia being a key exporter of fertilizer. That is one of the big surprises. When the invasion started, the world told Russia we're done. When you have McDonald's saying we're not going to sell hamburgers in there anymore, you knew they meant business. And a lot of the government said we're not doing this. But they've actually scaled that back. Uh, when we looked at the May import numbers into the U.S., we were surprised. The number one importer of urea in the month of May was Russia, 180,000 ton. Number two was uh, Qatar at 110. So we said we weren't going to buy uh, any fertilizers from Russia. We didn't hold up to that promise. He noted back here in Saskatchewan, we've been hearing a lot about expansion plans, with Nutrien talking about moving from 8 million tons a year to 13 million. That's a major expansion. That's exactly what we need. So we sit there and we look forward and we say, we are only a little ways away, maybe 12, 24 months from starting to see these major corrections. You had 5 million tons of production. And then if you start to add back in Belarus, which they can't go to Ukraine, they can't go through Lithuania, but Russia's working on a deep sea port near St. Petersburg. If that gets up and running, we go from a very tightly supplied global potash market to a very oversupplied potash market in a matter of two to three years. And when it comes to the volatility in the fertilizer market, he notes trying to determine your next move as a farmer can be challenging. Just try and educate yourself as much as you can. Look for these global situations. Try and kind of anticipate if X happens, Y will likely happen, and I need to be prepared for that. Our big thing is we talk about hedging, and I'm talking about hedging from the standpoint of if you're buying fertilizer, sell some grain. If you're selling some grain, buy some diesel fuel. It's both sides of the equation. My biggest fear for the farmers across North America is that we buy fertilizer and the price of grain drops by half, or that we sell grain and all of a sudden the price of fertilizer doubles again. 
We want to make sure this is a year of so much volatility. We want to be hitting singles. We want to bunt for base. You know, if your worst decision on a layer of your farm is profitable, that's a good year. We live to fight another day. He noted it's really difficult to judge what's happening with the market. Just understand where it is. Uh, unfortunately, there's not much we can do to fix it. Uh, that's just the way the market is right now. And that's why I'm pushing so hard to tell people, take layers, take your singles. If you can buy in your seed and you can sell your grain and you can lock in a piece of profit, that's a good thing this year. And I've had a lot of people push back and say, well, I don't have the mechanism. Let's say I don't grow the crop. I don't have the insurance to back that up if I have a failure. And I'm not going to sit there and say this is a strategy that works for everybody. Everybody needs to look at it and decide, does this make sense for me or not? And I am not here to tell anybody how to do their organization. I'm not the one that answers to the banks at the end of the day. They, it is their family farm. But if you are able to lock that in and you're comfortable with that approach, I, I personally feel like that's the best approach. That's what I've asked or advised my friends and family to do. But ultimately, it comes down to the farmer. Uh, we're not in a position where we need to be telling a farmer what to do. We're just giving suggestions and ideas to try and help them make better decisions. Josh Linville is the Director of Fertilizer with Stonex Financial out of Kansas City, Missouri. For Golden West, I'm Glendale Allen Bossler. That's it for the Prairie Agwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Agwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Roland 4-H Museum is open throughout the summer. Hours are 1 to 4 p.m. The Manitoba 4R Nitrogen Management Field Tour takes place tomorrow near Manitou. Call 204-290-7827. The Manitoba Threshermen's Reunion and Stampede takes place this weekend at the Manitoba Egg Museum in Austin. The 2022 Manitoba Malt Barley Variety Trial Field Day takes place August 3rd at the Elder Farm near Wawanisa. Coffee will be served at 9.30. Tour gets underway at 10 a.m. Registration is required. And the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a workshop titled Diversify Grazing August 4th. The cost $30. You can register on the MFGA website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon, reporter Barry Lamb caught up with Rick Tilbury, a farmer in the Melita area. We've had plenty of moisture. We've got lots of moisture in our area. Most of the storms have been... You know, not not too much hail. I've heard the odd little splash of hail here and there, but on our own, we haven't had any anything like that. But we probably need the rain to start slowing down here as we get into harvest. How are the crops looking? They look very good. I mean, we have lots of uh, ground out spots and some areas we didn't get sowed, but what's, what's there looks quite good, Barry. How about getting onto the fields? Uh, still a bit of time, obviously, before harvest, but uh, any major concern at this point about uh, too much moisture? Well, we wouldn't want to have a three or four inch rain here just before harvest. Anyways, the fields are are plenty plenty wet, but it's mostly the lower areas that we want to have to go through, anyways. I think so. I think we'll be all right as long as we don't get a big rain. And uh, a lot of planes out uh, doing fungicide and different things. Uh, been that around your neck of the woods? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we fungicided quite a bit of our stuff with the sprayer, but we did have to call in the plane for some fields, and lots of neighbors are doing the same thing, yeah. How's the forecast looking for the next week or so? It looks great. I mean, we probably couldn't ask for a better July than we've had. Uh, in August, start of it looks pretty good, too. You know, mid-20s and uh, 
sunshine and a light breeze, almost uh, almost perfect weather. That was Moleta area farmer Rick Tilbury speaking with reporter Barry Lamb. Earlier this morning, I caught up with David Hamlin of Red River Seeds near Morris. All things considered, I think they look quite quite good. We had a real late start and some, some big challenges with flooding, of course, here. But considering the mess we put it into, I think things are looking reasonably well, albeit uh, uh, quite late. So. On on your farm there, were you able to get everything seeded that you wanted? or Mostly. There's a few... You know, we left out a lot of drains and a little bit along the river, but uh, all things considered, it was uh, ended up pretty good compared to what it looked like it might be there. What crops did you um, uh, put in this year? Uh, we did corn, wheat, oats, and canola and rye. How's the uh, how's the corn looking? Corn looks really good. Yeah, it's uh, probably the one crop that is uh, the least far behind. We had some nice heat there to get it going. Uh, kind of as we planted in there in late May, and uh, really corn's not much behind where we normally would be, I wouldn't think. Have you been getting a lot of rain in that area uh, this summer? Well, compared to last year, definitely. Uh, we've uh, been fortunate to miss some of the big rainstorms that have been kind of popping up all over the province here, and uh, hopefully that'll continue here. We, we definitely have enough moisture, we, especially on the floodland where the crops are still at a smaller stage and uh, obviously started completely saturated. Those those fields, some of them are starting to suffer a little bit with a bit too much rain, but uh, crops like corn, uh, you know, they're just loving, loving moisture at this stage and it could uh, rain a couple inches a week and wouldn't hurt anything in the, in the corn. Been hearing about, um, you know, a lot of spraying going on. Um, any, um, any disease or insect concerns? I think most people are back to spraying fungicide on most of their cereal and canola acres, which uh, was uh, for a lot of people not done the last few years with the droughts. So I think uh, it's not necessarily any you know imminent threat, but uh, just a preventative thing, uh, looking at things like fusarium, head blight and wheat that we haven't really seen in a big way since 2016, but certainly conditions are much more conducive to it on a wetter year like this year. So there's been quite a bit of that. Uh, from an in- insect problem, there was lots of flea beetle issues in the spring with canola, which is nothing new the last number of years. And uh, there are still still people battling some grasshoppers in, in some areas. Uh, even on flood ground, you'd think they would have washed away, but they're, they're still there. So definitely not the issues we had with grasshoppers uh, the last couple of years, but still some, some spraying on some field edges here and there. And, you know, as we head into August here, uh, just looking ahead to, to, to harvest, um, I guess that'll, you're expecting that'll be pushed back here this year? I think it's going to be a little bit all over the map. We have, you know, areas that were not flooded that were seeded a little bit earlier, and then uh, it was just a real long, drawn-out seeding season, and I think harvest will, will kind of translate into the same, where it's just uh, we'll have fall rye that's going to get started, you know, possibly in the next week or early the week after, and it's just going to slowly continue into some, some early seeded cereals and uh, canola and then into some later stuff and followed up by, you know, a lot of acres in this Morris St. Jean area that didn't get seeded until the, you know, right to the 18th, 20th of, of June. So there's, uh, you know, it's going to be a, kind of a long drawn out fall and uh, lots of, lots of work to do on all the flooded acres to get all the field drains repaired and, uh, and hope, hoping that we, get some 
drier weather here through through harvest season, so that we do get a chance to get in and fix some of those some of those uh, field drain issues we have from all the flooding. That was David Hamblin of Red River Seeds, a farmer in the Morris area. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The province's cereal crops are looking great. That according to Justine Cornelson with Brett Young Seeds. They've got lots of height to them. Some of our fall crops, um, you know, they'll be getting uh, knocked down here before we know it. Uh, We're already approaching August, so they're progressing good. Um, The risk rate for fusarium head blight was very high this year. She notes the bulk of cereal acres have been sprayed. And on that note, David Kaminsky with Manitoba Agriculture talked about the risk of fusarium head blight in cereal crops. In most places, it's been on the wetter side. In fact, in some places, there's been a lot of heavy showers recently, and that certainly drives the humidity in those crops, especially in the overnight period. Although it has been uh, cooling off quite a bit overnight, and um, perhaps the temperature is dropping out of the range that's favorable to infection. So far, it's probably too early to say how much we might be seeing as far as infection, especially in the unsprayed condition. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll hear from the Executive Director of Grain Growers of Canada. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.